um, who read the New Testament, when they do so, especially perhaps the book of Acts, which records the um, growth of the early church, most Christians conclude that the church grew uh, through the ministry of a brave band of a few apostles, evangelists and pastors. If you read the book of Acts, you will see that Luke, who wrote Acts, focuses on just a few people, particularly Peter and then then, uh, the, the apostle Paul. And those people then when they turn their thoughts to uh, the church today, they think clearly God is working similarly today. There are a few people, people like me, who devote themselves to spreading the gospel and then there are the rest who, who receive teaching and encouragement and in, in return uh, financially support the gospel ministers but it's really the gospel ministers on whom the future of the church rests. Most Christians think that, I think, and they'd be wrong. They'd be wrong about the early church and they'd be wrong about the church today. Not totally wrong. Not totally wrong about the early church. The apostles and evangelists were absolutely crucial in the life of the early church. Luke's not deceiving us when he records um, the spread of the gospel by uh, looking at the biographies of a few people. And the people would not be totally wrong today in thinking that uh, God's church in this country desperately needs a new generation of full-time gospel workers, of pastors, evangelists and, uh, and others. Today, um, some of the statistics, frankly, are frightening. They're, they're, the evangelical church in this country is growing, but not its leadership simply in order to maintain the number of uh, um, pastors um, in uh, the same number of pastors in this country over the next uh, 20 years, we're going to have to increase the number of people going into full-time gospel ministry like mine by a factor of perhaps three or even five. The statistics are, are, are shocking and such people are vitally important for God's church Our passage actually reminds us of that. Verse uh, 28 of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. In the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different tongues, uh, and so on. And he, he, he has put a certain order in those lists. God has appointed first of all apostles, he says, those those, those men who laid down the foundation of doctrine on which the New Testament church 
um, was built. Then he says prophets, more about that in a few weeks' time, but let's just for now, just take it as people who uh, under God could understand how those truths applied to uh, the church of the first century. Then teachers, people who with the steady gift of, ma- of helping people to understand Christian doctrine. And then, then in, in one sense he says the rest, doesn't he? First, then, 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 and then miracles, helps, administration and tongues. There is a sense in which these word-based ministries, the apostles and prophets and teachers, are centrally important for the church. But it's not his main point here. His main point is that not everyone is an apostle. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do they work miracles and so on? The answer again and again is no. Teachers of the gospel are vitally important. But actually it was not the apostles and evangelists that really turned the world upside down in the first century. It was the churches they planted. My my aim this morning is to help you to, to grasp that, to get a grip on that, to see how important that is. Because by that, you will grasp your calling, all of our callings, if you are a Christian this morning. I think actually most Christians have a rather small, even emaciated vision of what God wants to do with their lives because they're not pastors or evangelists so so they conclude that their job is to earn a bit of money to live out their lives as best they they can to do bits and bobs for the gospel in their spare time and and to support the professionals who really do the the ministry. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to turn that picture completely on its head. In one sense, he says it's absolutely the opposite. In one sense, it's people like me who have the lesser calling, the more limited calling. And the really grand breadth of the ministry of Christ in this world is represented here amongst us all. And Paul uses a a stunning picture to help us to understand that. He describes uh, God's church in a particular way. He says it is the body of Christ. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Let's just back up for a minute as we, as we come into, into this. And this, let's just remember what we've learned over the last three weeks. Paul has been answering the question, what, what does a truly spiritual church look like? What does a, a spirit-filled church look like? And the first answer he gave was, 
they are a people who all confess Jesus as Lord. They may be enormously varied, they may even disagree on things, even some Christian doctrines, but they have this in common. They have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That was his first answer. His second answer then, what does a spiritual church look like? A spiritual church, he says, can expect to be a gifted church. That was in um, uh, verses 4 to, uh, to 11, he started to introduce that uh, idea. A church with distributed gifts, widely varied gifts, but united because they serve this one Lord. In fact, they are gifted by this one uh, Spirit. Okay? Now, he starts to expand and develop this a little bit more. Today, he's going to say, a truly spiritual church can only function as God wants it to together because we are this the body of Christ and for Paul that is not just a metaphor that's not just a useful image Okay, sometimes he uses metaphors, at other times he describes the church as, as, a, as a field um, that uh, has seeds sown into it and is watered and so on. Sometimes he uses metaphors, but for him, in this picture, it is more than a metaphor. It is a profound Reality. I don't know whether you remember when, when uh, he was not yet a Christian and he was going off to persecute Christians, he met Jesus on the road to, to Damascus. He had a vision and he heard um, Jesus saying, Why are you persecuting me? Now, of course, his immediate and logical answer should have been, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting those Christians. But for Jesus, you see, he was so identified with those Christians. To persecute them was to persecute him. And, and that understanding of who Christians are profoundly shaped the Apostle Paul's theology. He uses a phrase, you'll see it again and again and again, wherever he writes, of, uh, of Christians, he describes them as in Christ. And, and again and again, that's vitally important for him in argument after argument that he, that he sets forth. His point is that, that Christians have been, have been included into Christ. Not immediately visibly, but nonetheless in a real way. They have been included into Christ. In fact, here's, here's how it goes, as far as Paul un understands it. Once, there was Jesus walking um, in, uh, in Palestine. And he did all sorts of things, and he taught all sorts of things, and of course, finally, he went to the cross. He died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. But he was absolutely determined that his ministry should continue physically on the earth. 
And so he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell believers and in that sense to remain present on the earth. And he gathered those believers in whom the Holy Spirit has worked together into churches and every church that gathered became by the work of the Spirit the hands and feet and mouth and eyes and ears of Jesus. That, that's how Paul understands this gathering. Luke uses an amazing little phrase at the beginning of, of Acts. He says, in my first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, I told you about all about what Jesus began to say and do. And then it becomes clear that actually as the church is formed we are seeing what Jesus continues to do through God's people. It's not just a nice picture. It is a profound biblical reality. We here are the body of Christ. For this area. We are together a single organism. That's how the Bible sees us. And as a single organism, we need to uh, feed together. That's what we're doing now. We need to gather together to communicate. We need to support and encourage one another. And we will be enormously diverse, just as the parts of a body are. So that then we, as an organism, can do the range of things that Christ wants to do in this area, in our workplaces, where we go. In, in fact, we need, just as all members of anybody need to do, we need to look both inwards and outwards, yeah? So every part of our body needs to be connected to the whole and will be nourished by the whole. And therefore it is vitally important as well, as we live as the body of Christ, that we serve and encourage one another as a body. But of course, a body that does nothing in the world is no use to anyone. We also look outwards and serve in the name of Christ. This is vitally important what we're doing now, but what we will do in a couple of hours' time is also vitally important as we establish, um, as we go out and serve in the name of Christ. That is who you are. And I, and people like me, are only a little tiny part, important, vital, but only a little tiny part of what God is doing amongst us. Now just as in our, uh, uh, as, uh, in our day, so in Paul's day, 
Not everyone sees that. The church in Corinth, in particular, had a terrible culture of really just lauding a few people with amazingly impressive gifts and uh, treating the rest as just uh, pew fodder. Uh, In particular, um, Paul wants to uh, uh, point out two objections that people tend to have to this extraordinary picture of the whole of the church being the body of Jesus, now mandated to, 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 to um, incarnate, to make solid the ministry of Christ in the world. The first objection is this one. It's found in verses 14 to 20. They don't need me. See that? The body is made up of, uh, verse 14, it's not made up of one part of many, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And and so on. Now, Now, this is a person who has gifts which are are less impressive. Okay? The foot rather than the hand. The the ear which was considered in in Paul's culture always to be inferior to uh, the eye. Okay? This is speaking to the person in the body of Christ who feels, I'm just not significant enough to be needed here. Paul says, you can't just opt out. It's not your decision to make. Just to, they, 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 Such a person who says, I, I'm not needed, uh, I don't belong, would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body, he says. It's not a private decision that one makes. It's the decision of God that he should place his spirit in you, that he should make you a Christian uh, here this morning and that he should place you in this body of Christ. His decision, not yours. And all functions, he says in verse 7, are absolutely vital. Where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were an eye? He uses a monstrous image, doesn't he? Sort of cyclops to the nth degree. Wasn't there one in the Monsters, Inc. that was just an eye? Where where would the sense of smell be um, if the whole body were an ear and and so on? Ridiculous to think that someone who knows about bodies would make everybody into one kind. It is wisdom, wisdom that he made you as you are and you are absolutely vital. Indeed, if we opt out, you see, we mutilate the body. It is possible for a body to lose its sense of hearing or to lose a person to lose the ability to walk 
they're called disabled. And people who opt out do disable the body of Christ. And indeed, in a sense, they say that God was not wise. Verse 18, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I know there are lots of reasons why people feel they have no function in the body of Christ or no function that is worth offering. And sometimes that message inadvertently can come from people like me. I want to say to you, if that message has come from me, or from the leadership. It is not from God. I apologise if that message ever comes. Sometimes it just comes from personal feelings of inadequacy. Sometimes it comes from envy. I wish I was like so and so because I can't be I'm going to sulk. There is a role for every single person here, a deeply valuable role. We do not want to be a disabled community. I think Paul is absolutely right in spotting that sometimes it's the people who have less obvious gifts who are the ones who decide to opt out. Perhaps all you can do is pray. There are people in this church whose primary ministry is to pray. They do it faithfully. They may not get um, very well recognised, but God sees you. I could, I'm not going to name anyone, but I could name the person who, I've heard several people say they were amazed at how much interest was taken in them by this person. Amazed that that person had been praying for them faithfully. It's deeply valuable. Deeply valuable. You, you may not be able to do much more than that. What about picking up the phone and ringing someone and taking an interest in them? There are people here who, who serve completely unobtrusively cleaning the church. Remember a chap from a, year, a few years ago who's no longer um, uh, uh, with us but who, who decided that was 
the gift that he would exercise and he faithfully cleaned the church for years as I think the only person who was doing it at that, at that time. And that's not just a good thing. That enables the church to bear its corporate witness to the world. Perhaps um, uh, other people feel, well, my, the work that I do out there in the world is, is, you know, is completely um, unimportant. I've got, so, I've got so few gifts, I'm, you know, I'll get on and do that work to earn a living. But I won't think that I can, I can be a witness to Christ through that menial work. Think again. Again and again and again I hear stories where often someone really quite insignificant in the world's eyes demonstrated by the quality of their life something that made people sit up and take note. We used to have in the church a man who was a college servant who would get sought by the dons um, for his wisdom and for his prayers. He would say to them, I'm not just going to pray for you, we're going to pray together. And he'd take them down to the chapel and they'd get on their knees and pray together. They saw something in him that bore witness to Christ. Don't ever think, I am not needed here. God has been wise in the range of gifts he's put here and he expects every single one to be used. And then there's objection number two. This time, from the, for those who have um, slightly more impressive gifts, I don't need them. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, he says, uh, those parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. This, notice, is the head and the eye saying, count me out of this sort of messy involvement with a wide range of ordinary, mixed, broken people. Count me out. I'm the elite here. And he says, no, absolutely not. He, he draws out an analogy actually from our knowledge of our bodies that uh, we, need to, uh, we need to notice. He um, um, gently alludes to our genitals, our sexual organs. Those um, parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. 
He's saying, first, first of all, you know, your, your, your sex organs may seem to be not the most impressive part of your body, but actually the human race will die out very quickly if we didn't have them. They are indispensable, the parts that seem to be weaker. And then he says, it's very interesting how people treat them, isn't it? They carefully guard them but in a sense also honour them. So, women's clothing is, is, is often all about a combination of preserving a woman's modesty and yet displaying her femininity. Even men like to display their boxes these days, don't they? That's another, <laughs> that's another story. We you see, should be like that as the body of Christ on the earth. That's what he's saying. The less attractive actually are absolutely vital. God is no fool in how he divides the gifts. And weaker members perhaps should be treated with special honour. I remember um, an incident that uh, Judy witnessed. We, we know um, a lady just a little bit younger than us who is uh, severely mentally impaired. Um, she's a believer and she belongs to uh, a church and she radiates self-confidence and dignity. She, there is no sense in which she projects herself as in any way particularly inferior to anyone else. She has vital jobs to do and she is, is just radiant. And uh, Judy um, sadly um, went to this woman's mother's funeral uh, a number of months ago. But there she saw something of why this woman was, was so much the confident person that she is. The uh, leader of the, of the funeral who, who um, uh, was, was dealing with the, the grieving family um, from the front, he, he picked her out and he said, he said, we love you and we'll take care of you. She was treasured, she was, she was honoured, she was loved, she was respected in that community. As a person in her own right, a truly glorious person made in the image of God, and, and you see, that's, that's more than just caring for her, the Apostle is saying. That's important. But somehow, through doing that, the Church of Jesus Christ is enabled to be the body it's supposed to be. If it was just a group of self-confident people who could look after themselves, 
it would not look like Christ. But as a group of people who mutually love and need one another in order to be fully the people of God, with varied gifts, that church shone as she shone. So how could anyone who is feeling more self-confident and uh, more gifted and more able to make their way in the world and more uh, able to, to exercise impressive gifts, how could anybody say to anybody else whom God has placed in the body of Christ, I don't need you? I tell you, if the impressive people do that, then they will find themselves not living like Christ. God has been absolutely wise in the variety of people he has put together. Together, they are the body of Christ. Together, then, we look in and support and encourage one another so that together we can reach out and serve in the world as we're called to. So what about you? Will you live as a faithful part of the body of Christ. People like me, you see, they, 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 we get our honour. You know, just, just through the process of standing up here and having, it's an honour to have you listen to me for far longer than you want to sometimes. Um, uh, we get it, Okay. The presentable parts need no special honour, says the Apostle. You're the honoured ones, the ones that need to be. And you are the ones, every single one, who will make a difference in this world. Studies have been done to try to understand how the early church grew. And they reveal what actually is there in the New Testament if you look closely. That people like the Apostle Paul, they they were important. But the churches grew through the quality of their whole life together. You will leave this place in a minute with the reputation of Christ on your shoulders. By the way that you live, by the way that you serve, and yes, eventually, perhaps, by the way that you speak, you will make a difference. And next week we'll come back together to encourage one another and to feed and to to communicate as the body. And then we'll go out again. 
People like me have a role, I'm delighted to say. But it is only a part of Christ's determination to continue to be physically present on this earth through his body. Will you do your part?